Good morning. Good morning. The stream is the soul and you are the keeper. Uh, Today, I want to inspire you to become passionate about your soul, to tend your soul, to become more fully the you that God created you to be. Uh, Last year, God started leading Vicky, I, plus a few close friends on an inner journey. And God may have led you on a similar path. It's a journey that soon leads you deeper, deeper into your true self, deeper into your soul. And soul is important. Dallas Willard once told John Ortberg this, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. That's what you will take into eternity. You are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And that's the most important thing for you to know about you. Your soul is not just something that lives on after your body dies. It is the most important thing about you. It is your life. Soul-keeping church is a strategically important topic and it's one that the enemy does not want you to thrive in. The devil will do everything he can to keep God's truth about the soul from you because when your inner self flourishes and your soul prospers, the kingdom of God advances. And if we want an overflow of abundance, and do we? A yoke easy, a burden light, just as Jesus taught, then we must become keeper of our soul. The stream is the soul, and you are the keeper. Our soul needs nurture, it needs care, and it needs attention, but too often we neglect it. How many damaged souls are crumbling under the weight of past abuse or withheld love, of shame? of increasing demands of jobs, of parenting, of financial difficulties, of relationships, of guilt. And trying to cover up the crumbling is a real soul killer. And church should be a place where we can be our truest self. Yet church is often the most likely place where we cover up our crumbling I was looking at some research on church pastors, and this is America, but I think there's a truth in it for Britain. And and pastors, do you know 50% of their marriages end in divorce? 30% have been unfaithful since taking their marriage vows. 80% are discouraged and would leave their role in church if they had another job to go to. 70%, 70% admit That the only time they have spending time in prayer or reading the Bible is when they're preparing to preach. And 60 to 80% will not be in the role in 10 years' time. These are people with a call of God on their lives getting burnt out and disillusioned. Church, let's create the conditions where we, and especially our leaders, can prioritise the flourishing of the inner life and soul health. Otherwise, well, we have a train wreck waiting to happen. And you know, 
I thought about this and I thought, well, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus, I have the Holy Spirit. But it's no good saying that because those who crash and burn have Christ in them. They have the Spirit, they know Jesus, but still they crumble. And even if we're not crumbling right now, the condition of our soul sets the condition of our life. But what is the soul? Well, I'll do my best to explain this, but it's not simple. It's really a spiritual mystery, and there are lots of different ways of understanding the soul. But I'll have a go. The first thing to say is that the Bible mentions the soul lots. The Virgin Mary, upon hearing the news that she would carry the Messiah in her womb, responded, My soul magnifies the Lord. And Jesus said that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind and our strength. Jesus also said, what benefit is it if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Now, we don't so much have a soul, we are a soul. Do you get that? Language sometimes makes it think as though we have a soul, but we are a soul. And your soul is the real essence of you. But where does the soul fit in with the rest of you? Well, you know, when the Bible talks about people, it talks about the mind, the body, the heart, the will, the soul and the spirit. So let's start with the spirit. The soul and the spirit are BFFs. They're best buddies, best friends forever. And although the spirit is massively important, I'm only going to briefly mention it because, well, the spirit is a big focus of our Passionate Life series. And Rose preached on the spirit the other week and we've got our Holy Spirit Away Day. When? Saturday. Excellent. At what time? 10 o'clock. Brilliant. But human beings have a spirit, but we're not spirits. Okay? When someone believes in Jesus and receives the Holy Spirit, the Bible speaks of that person being spiritually alive because they're born from above or born again. God is spirit and the spirit is that part of you that connects you with God. Okay, so far? All agree with that? Great. So we had our spirit. Next we have our physical being. And we have your will. And your will is really great for deciding big yes and no decisions. Things like getting married, or changing job, or buying a house. Great for that. It isn't so great at the subtle stuff. So my will might say, I'm not going to eat any more chocolate for Lent. But then you have your mind to contend with. And the mind is a combination of the conscious thoughts, your subconscious impulses, your emotions. And then on top of that, you've got your bodies and your hearts. These are our little kingdoms and they're filled with all sorts of desires and appetites. And so when my will says I'm not going to eat any chocolate, it's got something to contend with. And then we have the soul. And every human being is a soul. Genesis 2 Verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust, of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The soul is that essence of you, that part of you that lives on, regardless of whether your body is alive or dies. 
is the essence of who you really are. And the soul longs for wholeness and harmony and integration. And the soul is your capacity to bring your mind and your heart and your body and your will all together into a whole life. And because the soul wants wholeness, it also longs to connect us with other people, to connect us with creation, and most importantly, to connect us with God. The soul wants you to be whole, so it searches for God. As the deer pants for the water, then my soul thirsts after God. That's why the soul's best friends with the spirit. Because you need the spirit to be connected to God himself. Your soul, this tiny, fragile, vulnerable, precious thing about you, is the deepest part of you. It is your truest self. The stream is the soul and you are the keeper. But I can't talk really about flesh and soul without, sorry, I can't talk about soul without first mentioning flesh and sin. Because sin is the thing that ultimately destroys our souls. We don't talk about sin very often, but it's necessary And the Bible often uses the word flesh when it talks about all those desires, all those emotions, all those feelings, thoughts and impulses that are not in harmony with God. You see, my flesh isn't concerned with the things of the spirit or the good of other people. And when my flesh harbours false or unworthy thoughts, when it seeks control or lusts for power over others, or entertains desires that are in opposition to what God wants for my life, I damage and I dent my soul. If you think about it, before someone becomes a Christian, their soul aches, it longs, it yearns for an eternal connection to God. But people don't always realise that's what's happening. And so that yearning and all that longing can either be eternally satisfied by turning to God, Or it can be temporarily satisfied by turning to other things. And the problem is that those other things may deaden the ache for now. They may make you happy for a while. But they're only temporary. And without God, they can lead to guilt and shame and hardness of heart and the desire for more. More power, more achievement, more control, more status... More focus on your children, more sex, drugs, alcohol, more comfort, more security, more gossip, more Facebook likes, more Twitter followers. Jesus told a parable of a rich farmer who tried to store up more and more of his wealth in big barns. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul will be demanded from you. And Jesus went on to say, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Your soul will be demanded of you. The stream is your soul and you are the keeper. The soul is God-smitten, God-crazy and God-obsessed. Your mind may be fixated on idols 
the will enslaved in habits, the body consumed with appetites, but the soul will never find true rest until it rests in God. Do you get that, church? Do you get that? But the soul gets damaged. I, I often puzzled how someone can have the spirit of God and be a Christian and yet commit adultery or embezzle finances or have so much pride. Wait, why is this? And I think an intended, neglected, battered and damaged soul is part of the answer. You see, all sins dent the soul. All sin separates us from God. All sin has the ability and the capacity to addict us. That's why there's no big or small sins. Now, as we know, when we took communion, Jesus on the cross dealt with sin and dealt with our separation from God. At conversion, the Spirit of Christ comes to dwell in us so that we can now be connected to God. Somebody say, Amen or Hallelujah. Hey, I've got both, thank you. But the quality of that connection is determined by the health of the soul. The soul is sticky. And when our soul is sick and damaged and dented, it can become attached to the wrong things. This is Betsy. Thank you. I've, I've accomplished it now. I've mentioned my two kids, my wife, and now the dog in the preach. So that's it. I, I'm a proper preacher, apparently. Um, Betsy's a Welsh Springer Spaniel and a breed that's often called Velcro dogs because Welshies just love being part of the family. Their instinct is to stick firmly with you and we know all about that. We can't be in another room and those people who visited us know that when we have a little house group or a prayer meeting, all you can hear is Betsy moaning and barking and whinging because she wants to be part of things. And you know what? The soul is sticky just like Betsy. The soul on its own doesn't always discriminate between godly and ungodly things. It trusts you. Ain't that great? Your soul trusts you and it attaches to whatever your heart desires and what it yearns for. And I guess your soul thinks to itself, you can't be so stupid to want things other than God. Of course you only want God. But if we allow things into our lives that get in the way of God, the Bible calls them idols, then the soul will stick to them like Velcro. The stream is your soul, and for it to flow freely, the keeper of the soul must clear of it anything that becomes more important than God. Have you got anything in your life today that is more important than God? Pain and suffering are not usually welcome in our lives. But the spirit often uses pain to get our attention, to jar us into a new reality, to bring us to our senses and gives us the opportunity to clear out some of those ungodly things that have been clogging the stream. But we have to choose to do that. The good news is our heavenly father does his best work in our brokenness. Often the things we're holding precious have become idols and they need to break and that can be very painful. 
But then in our brokenness, Father God says, and we heard it from someone in the congregation before communion, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. He lovingly comes to reconstruct us to his pattern, always more beautiful and deeper than before because his pattern is to conform us to the likeness of his son. So that was the heavy bit. Are you all still with me? Yeah, thank you. Right, we'll get on to the better bit. Living from soul. So how do we learn to live from soul? Have you ever been in the middle of something else and then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, you've been stopped in your tracks and arrested by God's presence? Perhaps it was the unexpected sight of a vibrant rainbow. In that moment, you were captivated You tried to take it all in. You felt connected to God. You felt lifted out of your petty grievances with the world. They ever happened to you? Or perhaps you were absorbed by a piece of beautiful music that was performed from the soul. Perhaps you've been gazing out over the ocean waves in Cornwall, lost in wonder. It might have been a beautiful piece of artwork or a woodland walk. Suddenly you turn the corner to see a breathtaking shaft of light dappled through branches and leaves. And this is a glimpse for you. It's a glimpse of a soul surprisingly awakened to God's presence. The thing is, if we don't cultivate the soul, those moments can be very fleeting and few and far between when the busyness of our everyday lives takes over again. But have you ever met someone who just has that certain something? They exude life. Joy spills out from them. When you're with them, you're energised. And instead of making you feel bad about yourself because they're so good, they inspire you to greater heights and depths. They lift and inspire you without doing anything other than just being themselves. They help you somehow mysteriously feel connected, alive again, accepted, loved, humane, just by the way they are with you. These people have an awakened, nurtured and cultivating soul. This is soulful living. The deep calls to deep, soulful life. And church should be absolutely packed with people who are just like that. Don't you agree? And these depths can be cultivated in us because the soul is a bit like soil and it needs work to help for it to become fertile. And Jesus told a parable that had four soils, which we could say represents four soil conditions. And he talked about seed, which is the word of God. So we've got four soils, which are four soil conditions, and seed, which is the word of God. First, hard soil. A long, trodden path, hardened and dried out. And Jesus said, the seed doesn't have a chance. A soul downtrodden, hurt and disappointed can become as hardened and dry as that path 
as we build protective shells of unforgiveness, bitterness, cynicism and hardness around us. Secondly, he talked about a rocky soil. Now, the rocky soil is a shallow layer of soil with solid rock underneath. It's not just soil that has a few rocks around it. Because we know this because he said, Jesus said, the seed initially sprouts but withers quickly because the soil is too shallow for the seed to take root. Souls become superficially shallow when my interests and thoughts go no further than myself. A big malaise of society today is a skin-deep superficiality of lives. Lives lived in the shallows of appearance rather than substance. Thirdly, we have the cluttered soil, full of thorns and weeds choking out the plants. Jesus said the clutter is the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for lots of other things. And church, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Do you get that? If he can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because the concerns of this world, with its clutteredness and busyness, will divert your attention and your soul will shrivel. It might be ceaseless activity or a preoccupation with something. I don't know, a career, a reputation, a family, a home, a ministry. Your soul is slowly dying and you don't even realise it. Because the success of the outer life, the possessions, the careers, the achievements, they're more obvious. Those things shout at us. The inner life is quieter and more fragile. And we have to listen to it carefully. It will rarely shout to get our attention. How much time do we spend caring for our stuff, our houses, our cars, our belongings? But what about care for the soul? Do you in your quiet moments ask, how is my soul doing? And some of you answer, what quiet moments? Hmm. Like soil, your soul needs regular care and attention. Thorny brambles pulled out, rocks removed, hardness broken up, and over time, fertile soil is cultivated. Where the seed, the word of God, can take strong root and grow into a harvest. Your soul needs care. Your soul is waiting. The stream is your soul. And you are the keeper. A, a couple of months ago, I had the privilege and pleasure of visiting Reverend Elaine Anderton. And she's the chaplain at Compton Hospice in Wolverhampton. She's been in the role about three years and we discussed what she's learned during her time there. In the end-of-life care cycle, I'm sure many of you encountered this, there are many, many compli complex things going on. But something she said really struck with me. She said that after a while, often a process starts with those people towards the end of their life that involves a stripping away. Like one of these Russian dolls, 
gradually, layer after layer, removed one by one. People who have always been active can no longer draw their sense of identity from their activity. Employment usually had to end some time before, so people can't derive their self-value from a job. Reputation becomes less and less relevant, and money and achievements are no real measures any longer. Layer after layer stripped away. Not everyone submits to this stripping away, but those that do, like that Russian doll, come to find the true essence of who they are, the true self that's no longer hidden behind masks. And the chaplain commented that this is probably the most important destination that someone can reach to be themselves, truly themselves, and to know that they are loved, not because of their achievements or their activity or their reputation or their money or their possessions, how good a mom, dad, boss, employee, wife, husband they've been, but just loved for them. They're left with the essence of who they are their soul, and it is beautiful. And as I prepared this sermon, I saw a gift in this that I was given to share with Junction 10. Church, we don't have to wait until we're that person in that hospice ward facing our own imminent mortality to receive this gift. Let's go on a journey. Let it be said that we kept our souls well. The stream is the soul, and you are the keeper. So coming to land this as a conclusion, is your stream sparkling and beautifully clear, life-giving and attractive to those around you? Or over time, have the pools picked up twigs and leaves? Has the flow of bubbling streams been clogged with silt and sludge? If our soul is of immense value, and the Bible says it is, then we need to invest time learning how to tender, nurture, and care for our soul so that it flourishes in God. Having a strong soul involves tending the inner life, the rocks, the hardness, the brambles. Feeding your soul, resting your soul, opening up to allow God to heal your soul. And the place that you do that, is God's intimate presence. Time spent in that secret place with God where our souls find rest, where they're replenished. And I truly believe, I really believe, church, that we only have to make very small, simple changes to make a big difference. When it comes to the soul, it does take time. Trust the slow work of God. And go out of here committed to working out what you need to do to nourish and care and nurture for your soul. And there are so many things you could do, so many spiritual disciplines. And I did make a list of them and I took it out because I just don't have time to go through it all. If I give you any homework, consider that as your homework. But I do want to say one thing, one piece of advice. And it's to be serious about God's wisdom in commanding us to take a Sabbath rest. In the UK, we seem to have forgotten how to rest. We just don't seem to be able to unplug or switch off and stop doing the activities and the tasks and simply to rest in God. 
And it struck me while I was writing this sermon that actually the fourth commandment to take a Sabbath day's rest and to keep it holy sits up there with murder and adultery. It sits up there with stealing. And at the end of each week, you might say to yourself, I haven't broken the commandment not to murder. I haven't broken the commandment not to steal. I haven't broken the commandment not to commit adultery. On a weekly basis, do we say, have I broken the commandment to take a day's rest? And God doesn't do it for any other reason than it's good for us. And it's not just about resting from a job. How often have you taken a weekend off from your job and your duties and you were just busy doing other stuff? And retired people, I know you haven't got jobs, but is it true that when you retire, you end up saying, I don't know how I had time to fit a job in with all the other things I've got to do. I think it was, was it Andre that was telling me that the other week? It could have been. John Ortberg rang his friend Dallas Willard to get some wisdom. He described the fast pace of his life in ministry. He told him about the busy rhythms of family life and confided in him about the present condition of his heart. And he said, what do I need to do, Dallas, to be spiritually healthy? Long pause on the telephone. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, Dallas said at last. Another long pause. Okay, I've written that down, John told him a little impatiently. That's a good one. What else is there? He's got things to do. He's got ministry to do. He's got places to go. Another long pause. There is nothing else, Dallas said. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great spiritual enemy. Hurry destroys souls. For most of us, the great danger isn't that we'll renounce our faith, it's that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we'll settle for a mediocre version of it. Just skimming our lives instead of actually living from them. I'm going to end with a short meditation on the soul. Could you watch the screen please? <laughs> 